Woo! Woo! Let's do it. Let's do it, Marshall. Hi. Yay. Okay, yeah, here we go. Play the play. All right, welcome um, to the Draftsman Show, everybody. Another Draftsman podcast. My name is Stan Prokopenko. I created Proko, where we teach people how to draw with video. I am Marshall Vanderven. I also teach people how to draw and make pictures and hopefully be creative. Cool. Welcome to the Draftsman Show. Let's roll the intro. <laughs> Every time it makes the mood. <laughs> it's magnificent. Yeah. What are we talking about today, Stan? <laughs> what are we talking about? <laughs> um, well, first of all, Marshall, update me. What have you been up to? Oh, this has been a... I've seen you in a week. This has been an exciting summer teaching classes. I've been teaching with Vance Kovacs up at Brainstorm Inland. Yeah. And I've been teaching at... Oh, the Inland Empire. The ancient Inland yeah, Empire. Yeah, the Inland Empire, the one that <laughs> confused you. Yes. And at Concept Design Academy, and we have been... It's just been immersion in great master's works. Nice. Enough to where when you look at... Lion Decker has been a huge part of it. Mooka has been a huge part of it. Uh, Windsor McKay, uh, Howard Pyle, and N.C. Wyeth. We have been delving into these pictures and it makes me want to live to be a thousand years old because it's gonna take that long to make the kind of pictures it can make when you get inspired by great art. Yeah. So it's been, it's been, and also summer students tend to be the best students because they are not there for any other reason except that they wanna learn this stuff. Also, Vance demonstrates, Vance shows work that he's done. He shows how he approaches it. We've been looking at just Lion Decker the other night. But if you're learning how to paint, I mean, who can you go to that is going to be better as far as applying draftsmanship to paint than Lion Decker? Yeah. All that classy stuff he does with those uh, highlights, specular highlights and little bits of reflected light that are sort of cross contours. That's the kind of thing that you cannot pull off if you don't know how to draw in the first place. So he's taking great draftsmanship skills and then turning them into planing things up, chiseling them up, exaggerating reflected light. And it's also just a gorgeous aesthetic. It's so beautiful to look at. What have you been doing? Um, oh, man, mostly building this place, the studio. It's beautiful. There's, there's so much involved, but I love it. Should we do the, the little thing again to show the contrast between the way it used to look? Yeah, we have a different way of uh, killing the sound in here now. Okay. We have these tower of sound. We bought these yesterday, and we built them all yesterday. These are sound panels from a church. A church really? sold them to us, yeah. Should we sing And we hymns? bolted them all together and hung them from the ceilings. Wow. We got 22 of them. <laughs> Getting that holy sound blocking. <laughs> yeah. All right, so Marshall, today's episode, we're going to talk about adopting your art parents. Adopting your art which parents. Which is pretty much like finding your art style. It is a lot like that. Yeah. You mentioned it in the first episode, and people were asking to for us to talk about that. Let me talk about this class that I've been teaching with Vance Kovacs. This has been, the first meeting was to say, look, who do I want, what, what kind of work do I want to do? Mm -hmm. What kind of style do I want to work in? And then choose those stylistic masters. And then we put them up and talk about how sometimes our choices of parents might be based on superficial things. I love how this dad dresses. I love how this mom wears her hair. 
but they may not be the best parents. And this is one of the first things that we see a lot is whatever is hot right now, whoever is happening right now, whoever's got the most pizzazzy technique, a lot of people will choose those artists and not see that they will 10, 15 years from now look very dated, perhaps, or may not be the best person to adopt as a parent. And then the next thing is we don't want just one stylistic influence. We want to have more than one thing so that we yeah. can combine them and make something new. Well, if you just choose one parent, you pretty much just become a, a replica, right? You, That's right? You're just becoming a ripoff. I have had more than one student who chose Frazetta, and one in particular, uh -huh. who really locked onto Frazetta. Just Frazetta. He, was, he loved Frazetta, and he copied Frazetta, and he had a style like Frazetta, and then he broadened it out uh -huh. by choosing Boris. <laughs> It was what not, it was not. Isn't Boris just a ripoff of Frazetta? And so what you get is right? this, yes, yeah, okay. it, you get inbred, you get a, a, a thing that makes it so you, instead of branching it out and saying, who's different from Frazetta, how can I? What did he take from Boris? His technique looks more like Boris. Is it the over-exaggeration of the No, it's the or? really refined technique. You know, oh, okay. Frazetta has refined technique at certain points, and then a lot of points he lets it go into okay. pea soup. Right, he's got a little more looser. Yeah, whereas style, yeah. Boris has got more oiled up bodies and really real control over the photographic reference and, okay. and, and that kind of thing. But that is an, exactly an example of someone who's so enamored with someone that they like that they're just going to collect. I'm going to collect all parents that are all of the same type and I'm try gonna, to be like I'm going to adopt that the children of that parent. Yeah. As my other parents. Yeah. It's something it's in, that you're inbreeding. It's you don't want to do that. <laughs> it's something that there have to be a lesson. We have to a little have a, a little talk about genetics here. Yeah. Ooh, gross. <laughs> <laughs> the choice of your parents makes a big difference in how you develop as an artist. So we start to break down attitudes and skills and styles. And if you're doing sci-fi and fantasy, it makes perfect sense that you're going to adopt parents who are sci-fi fantasy artists. But if that's all you do and you don't go outside of that, it means that you are going to be rehashing a lot of the same. Yeah. So. We deal with this, and the best way to deal with it is to actually have you get your stuff out in front of you and uh, speak to those specific issues. Sometimes it's attitude. Some people are great painters and great at composition and great at all the technical stuff about painting, but they pose everybody in fake poses. You've got these artificial poses that never look like they're real. You don't see that in Phil Hale's stuff. Uh, you hardly see that in Frazetta's stuff. and so. Breaking down what each good quality of this adopted parent is. I love the poses of this person. I love the medium and technique of this person. I love how they bring that exaggerated lighting. Or I love how they flatten things out. To actually take the time. This can be several months. It can be a year of understanding what you're trying to get from each parent. I had a student who, when we do this in the animal drawing class, one of the last projects is to choose masters that you want to be influenced by. And he chose Glenn Keane for the poses and the, the flow of action. He chose that black sad guy, I'm sorry I don't know his name, as 
the kinds of characters that he wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And then he had a particular comic book artist that he liked for the stylistic technique, the outlines and the way the gradations are handed, handled. And so by making the choice that I'm gonna combine these specific elements of these three characters, he is composing a new dish. Yeah, He's making a new thing. And that is choosing your parents is creative work. It can be done badly. It can be done well. There's the first thing I'd say about it is that just the choices alone can make a difference of whether you're going to decide get what you like. Yeah, Step that's what one, it is. Decide who, who, which artists are your favorite artists, mm -hmm. um, and don't let anyone else influence your decision on that. Just because maybe your teachers like somebody, mm -hmm. all of a sudden you like them too, because it's like, oh, my teacher likes him. That must mean that that artist is a good artist, so I'll like him too. Like, just decide what you're drawn to and make a board out of it right indeed put print these out clip them on put all the all your, all your parents on a board and just see how it looks indeed vision board i, I had one for other i that's the only way to start is with your loves but there's a problem with that what's the problem the problem is it's let's switch from the family metaphor to the eating metaphor <laughs> yeah, it's, been, it's getting gross a friend of mine told me that his daughter announced when she was five or six years old that all i'm going to eat from now on is candy and cheese. Sounds like Sean. Hey man, it's good stuff. <laughs> we have to have a talk about the candy and cheese thing. Yeah. We, it's, at some point, there should be, when I first got to teach drawing from the masters at Fullerton College in 1987, I think it was, it was a new class. The people there who worked there, I was a part-timer, they had written it so that I could teach it. I was really excited about it. And Bob Miller came to me and said, I know you're excited about the old masters and this is a great thing that you're gonna do with the old masters, but I want you to watch out the old masters got fake. There's all, right around the time of the mannerists, you've got all these fake poses, you've got all this artificial contrived poses. He said, as great as they are, don't be contaminated by that. And I remember as the semesters went on, I started to see that there was a lot of that kind of thing, which you may say, I love fake poses and I'm gonna do it, but to have somebody warn you that you may like this person and they do dress well, but they've got really terrible manners, or this person may have really nice manners, but they will be dominated by everybody else and they don't know how to stand up for themselves. To have the insight of someone who is further along to point some of those things out so that yeah. it's not just, uh, or I can use myself as, as an example. I was influenced by Big Daddy Ed Roth. I was influenced by the mad artists I was influenced by underground comics artists. I was influenced by a lot of lowbrow stuff. And the first master that I ever copied was Albrecht Durer. Mm -hmm. And Albrecht Durer, I was drawn to his stuff. I still think it's marvelous. But it is so awkward. He has no gesture. Everybody looks like they're built out of bricks that are about to tumble. And I think I picked up that quality from him and then spend decades trying to get past that quality. I don't know whether to blame Albrecht Durer for my awkward drawing qualities or whether I should say you that should blame I was yourself. just drawn towards some someone who was awkward. responsibility in your life, Marshall. Yeah, I, I, yeah I, took I take responsibility for the fact that I have awkward vibes in me. I want to find someone else who's great and awkward so that I can lock onto them and say, see, Albrecht Durer was awkward, so it's okay for me to be that way. Yeah. I'm taking full responsibility. So... You're saying, what if you want to have bad table manners? Yeah. 
And but your teacher says, "Watch out, that guy's bad table manners." Well, think of Robert Williams really loved Big Daddy Ed Roth. He publishes Juxtapose magazine, and he was part of that. All of those great underground artists, along with some others, Todd Shore and some other people like that, took what Big Daddy Ed Roth did and amped it up even more and brought better painting skills to it. Todd Shore, in particular, could take that that lowbrow look and bring amazing painting skills to it. But Robert Williams and Todd Shore are examples of someone who said, I'm going to take the bad manners, I'm going to run with it, I'm going to outdo them in bad manners like nobody ever expected. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. So, I guess I would disagree with having somebody to tell you what to take out of these parents. Okay. You said have a, a mentor that could, like, look and tell you, hey, watch out for the bad table manners. I think you should just decide what you like about them mm -hmm. and what you don't like about them. You don't have to like everything about these parents. You're you bringing like it, something specific and you take that specific thing. You're bringing it back to the creativity, which is that you decide, I want this quality and this quality, and you yeah. might want to blend them together. I fell in love with M.C. Escher when I was in eight, 18 years old, 19 years old, when I first saw his work. I thought, oh, this is what I want to do. And, <laughs> but I didn't like his line drawings and his characters all seemed like they didn't have any of the qualities that I love from Mad Comics. Yeah. So uh, what ended up happening, I wasn't no, even consciously doing it, it was just happening anyway, like you pick up your parents' habits yeah. by osmosis, is that I was trying to do mad comics characters with Escher rendering. Yeah. There was, it was probably that, a battle between the two at first and then eventually you kind of figured out which one, like what are you going to take from here, what are you going to take from here. Eventually they start to, they, you find the way they connect. Uh, actually right? the images came to me really vividly in my imagination oh, really? of, yeah, that if mad were rendered out, oh, okay. but then trying to work it out was, okay. you know, that cool. was a task. Nice. How about you? Who are your artistic parents? My parents are not autistic. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. That's so stupid. Well, so stupid. I'm so glad. It makes me feel good by comparison. <laughs> My artistic parents. Let's see. I had a, uh, several. Obviously, I'm influenced a lot by Jeff Watts, who I studied with for like 10 years. I can see it. And a lot of the other teachers there are influenced by him. And so I was influenced by all the teachers there who are all influenced by, by Jeff Watts. So it all kind of stems from that. But then I really liked Morgan Weisling for a very long time. Mm -hmm. It was his brushmanship that I really enjoyed. I don't know him. You don't know Morgan Weisling? No. Oh, well, he's a fine art painter. So mm -hmm. he's not in the illustration world. Well, actually he was, he was for a very long time. He had a full on, he did movie posters. Okay. Uh, for a long time, and then one day he just decided he's going to be a fine art painter, and then like, he just exploded. He when? sold what out years? his uh, first one-man show, I think, like in, in, the, in the first night or something. It's, I don't know. But anyway. What, where year, gonna, what years was this? He's still alive. He's, oh, he's still alive. Okay. Yeah, he's, he's middle-aged, not even okay. old. Okay. He's very good. Look him up, Morgan Weisling. I liked his um, brushmanship. I didn't necessarily want to do the same kind of subject matter as him. Mm -hmm. He did a lot of, like, prairie life type of stuff, mm -hmm. uh, some some religious stuff. I really just liked his brushmanship. I had his DVD mm -hmm. that where he painted a girl doing homework. And I watched that DVD every night going to bed. I just put it in. It would be like my sleep aid for like two years. 
Mm-hmm. Not every night, but you know what I mean. I know. Like, yeah, was, like yeah, very just, often. Yeah. I watched it a lot. And it was just, I was just absorbing his way of mixing color and his way of putting the brush strokes down and how he tiled skin tones to, you know, transitioning from shadow to light. I was just absorbing it. It was great. I just, so, yeah, and studying. that was after Watts or before Watts? During Watts. Okay. Yeah, this was while I was studying at Watts. Um, who else? Steve Houston. I was really influenced by his drawing style. Yeah, I can see it. Not his painting style, but his drawing style. Man, who else? I mean, a little bit of... Those, those I think, are the big ones. Um, and then a little bit of, like, Norman Rockwell, like the illustrators for some, like, shape design and stuff mm-hmm. like that. I like the look of a slightly caricatured portrait, like mm-hmm. like 10%, like, like Rockwell would do. Mm-hmm. And then, oh, never mind. This is huge. A lot of the Russian painters... Very, I'm very heavily influenced by great them. painters I, too. Yes, Repin, and a lot of their even just their academy student work. Yeah, I would um, study that for just learning how to draw, like the, not necessarily to fit into my style, but just like wow, they have such a great academic style. Mm-hmm. Like, which means like no style, right? Kind of. No, it's like, di- this but is it's pure, disciplined. Pure, yeah, yeah, really understand everything that they're doing. There's not yes. anything in there left to chance unless it's by choice that it's left to chance. Yeah, I think actually they frown down. They frown upon that style as being like your style nowadays. They, Why? They, that's like you you learn that in school, and then you when you're done, you leave that. A lot of them just like completely change after that. Mm-hmm. It's I don't think they think of that as the end goal mm-hmm. it's this is just the way we study this is what, how we learn and then we go and figure out how to be artists that sounds great that yeah. sounds the way to do it is you've got such a solid grounding yeah that you can you can kick off into any direction you choose yeah which actually brings me to another point i wanted to make about style mm-hmm. is that a lot of beginners use the excuse of style for their mistakes mm-hmm and I'm talking about beginners. I'm not talking about when you've already mastered all the fundamentals and you, you, you know how to explore. I'm talking about in the beginning when you don't even understand how to render form and a teacher comes by and tells you that your edges are all too, they're all too similar. You, you have to have some soft edges and some sharp edges based on the forms. And you say, but that's my style. Mm-hmm. I, I want to use a cuss word here. Now, now, here's where you're getting into trouble though. Because a teacher will come along and say that. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, but that is their style. No, and, it's not. But, it's but not their style. They can it's point, every beginner's style. They can point to a thousand people who have got that beginner style and say, yeah. these are my parents. No, and, your parents are not every person that doesn't know how to draw. That's the stupidest decision ever. Who made up Fine. that rule? You're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations. Your parents are babies. You chose babies as your, as right. your parents. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You, you don't choose babies as your parents. Yeah. You'll never learn to walk. Okay. I'm, I want to, can I chime in here on bad influences? Sure. You did this video recently with Court about how to make digital look traditional. Wait, sorry. We're just, I'm still laughing in my head about your parents are babies. <laughs> Didn't you what recently it, do a video with Court about how to make digital digital look traditional? Yeah, I, I mean, Court did all that. Yeah. I, I just proofread it. One of the things that I see over and over and over with students, I, I mean, countless times, is they're working online, they're working on drawing, they're working on draftsmanship, they're working on good things. 
but they work in Photoshop. And they find out that with Photoshop, you can put gradations of tone in things. And they put gradations of tone in things. And this gradation, gradations are exciting. Gradations change, they gradate. There's something nice about them. But when yeah. they're done with no knowledge about how the form is turning, mm -hmm. and they're also done with no awareness of how it's affecting the eye for the whole composition. But those, so you're talking about beginners doing this? Yes. and But they're just learning the rhythm. I, it's like a baby learning to speak going. But they, but they aren't. They're not? They aren't. They're just putting it in because everybody else did it. So here is my suggestion. But the baby's learning to talk because everyone else is saying now, it the same I, way, right? Now, with all respect no? for the babies. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The, the thing about it is that when you are learning tone. Yeah. Learn tone. <laughs> Yes, learn tone, but while you're learning tone, try to apply what you know, which might be almost nothing. Well, even even if you say things that are facing the light this direction and things that are facing the light, not facing the light this direction, are going to gradate and keep it consistent, mm. that's a good start. And then you'll say, you know, it doesn't just gradate. Usually there's a point where there's a core shadow there. Ah, if we can make that core shadow separate the two at the terminator, that'll look even better. And usually when I yeah. first learned that, oh, that's thrilling. It makes it look realistic. And then we'll say sometimes the terminator is a sharp edge and sometimes it's a rounded edge. So we can make it hard edged and we can make it smooth. Then we've lifted up to another level. But that way it, we really are learning rather than doing what people, some students will put hours into these gradations with Photoshop and they look worse and worse. And here is the thing, they cannot see that it looks bad. Yeah. And anyone who's looked at pictures for a while feels like you would be better off just leaving tone out yeah. until you're ready to start There's applying There's so it. many things that beginners do that make me cringe though. I mean, yeah, that that's a Photoshop thing, but there, there's like when you're learning to draw with a pencil, like everyone just makes the shadows light mm -hmm. and they outline everything. Mm -hmm. and they make features bigger than everything else because they think they're important and they mm -hmm. make symbols out of features instead of drawing actual form right they'll they'll do a w for a note or like a, a triple w yeah. um there's an almond with a circle in it for eyes like yeah beginners make these mistakes because they don't know yet but like they need to start trying yes right and that's why choosing good parents is important no I totally disagree. No, this is when you don't have parents. Like, style it should not be an, even in question here. If you're not good enough to render form correctly, you shouldn't be thinking about style. Forget about those parents. Learn the science. Mother Nature is your parent for the first five years. Wow. And I see you got these panels and this Humans. stuff out of a church, and we are starting to turn into a full <laughs> on. Amen. Yes, sorry. Yeah. Hallelujah. Don't adopt parents <laughs> until you're five years old. You're an orphan. <laughs> yeah, you, you have to be. I want to point something out, though, about Child. style. If you copy Lion Decker's style, yeah. and you've got somebody there saying, look at how he puts blue on that face, and he also puts green on that face, and they look right. Now, you try doing that, and it's going to look like there's green paint and green and yes, blue, blue. But he knows that all of these planes are facing one way, and these other planes are facing another way. But that's not what people are going to get when they're studying Leindecker. They're going to go for the cheap tricks that he uses. They'll get it if they've got somebody pointing it out. Sure, yes. Get some good training of the fundamentals. Yeah. But if you're saying adopt good parents like Leindecker, 
to learn the fundamentals. I don't know, Mark. No, 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 no. I don't. I don't think not to learn the fundamentals. Okay. But to say For beginners, though, we were talking about beginners. Okay, if a beginner is is learning the fundamentals, yeah, and then you want to show them, you want to see a really advanced, classy use of the fundamentals. Because when people look at Leyendecker's work, yeah. they think he used so many brushstrokes, and what they don't seem to be aware of is he used fewer brushstrokes than almost anybody else. Yeah. He'd re rehearse his brushstrokes so that each one would count as a graphic shape and also a part of the rendering. But that's the only thing people notice. Uh, yeah, yeah, yes. And they're like, whoa, wow, yeah. look at those strokes. Well, but we're talking about... We're talking about style. We're, we're talking about adopting your parents. Yeah. And style is one of the first reasons why anybody adopts a parent. I like the way this person yes. does this, this, or this. But it can mm. also be... Uh, Mort Drucker was the great caricaturist who did the movie satires in Mad Magazine. He, uh, this was 60s all the way through till even recently. And... He could draw, he could go into the movie theater, look at movie stars, draw them from memory, caricature them so that they looked like themselves, and he had a wonderful fluid pen and ink style. And when I was a kid, I tried copying that because it looked good to me, but I had no idea why he had somebody's chin overlap that part of their cheek. I had no idea why in these three-quarter views one part was overlapping another. But it was the thing that eventually led me to say he's got some secret knowledge that I don't have, and that was that he knows Fun form. So when you when you try to copy, <laughs> when you when you try to be like that grown up, you start to yeah. say, well, you need to do exercises before you're going to be able to get to that level. Yeah. So when when do you recommend for students or, or for artists to start adopting their art parents? Right from the right from the beginning, beginning of the training. Okay and not expecting to be like them this year, but to get an array and w using the family analogy, a mom and a dad, aunts and uncles, older siblings, uh, neighborhood influences, mm -hmm. because some of them, you know, even you've been influenced now by Disney's hands having done that kind of thing. You've learned to simplify and pick up that language of, of those classic cartoons. Those are things that aren't fundamental to your style. But they do, like when you hang around somebody when you're in high school, you start to pick up their habits. And so you've got all sorts of influences. But yeah. composing them and being aware of them. They're called touchstones by some people. Bob Duncan explained to me, he was a, a television writer and a novelist. He said, how did you learn to write novels? He said, well, I certainly didn't learn anything in college. He said, you know, here's how I learned to write novels. He was first published when he was 22 years old. And he said, there was a book out that was very popular at the time called The Story of Philosophy by Will Durant, and everybody was reading it. So every morning, I would sit and read a chapter of that book, and then I'd begin writing a novel as if I were Will Durant. And Bob had a unique novelist fiction voice. It was erudite, and I read The Story of Philosophy, and I could see Bob almost lifted that nonfiction uh, historian's style to write his espionage novels in. So that's an example of now we're crossbreeding. We're saying that instead of just copying from an illustrator who's working in the genre that I'm already employed in, I'm going to go outside of that. And that's where a lot of creativity can happen. Mm -hmm. Choosing rubber stamps for your uh, influence. Windsor McKay choosing Luna Park 
which in Coney Island, uh, that, that kind of architecture, and then fusing it with A.B. Frost's kinds of characters, and then fusing that with stained glass, and you end up with these marvelous Windsor McKay pages that are not like any one thing. They're a fusion of a, of a number of things. Yeah. Bernie Wrightson was influenced by Doré. Hey, 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 look what I have yeah. on the desk. Well, show, you know, let's... Well, some people are listening. Oh, Here, okay, I'll, yeah. I'll, you can hear the book. If those of you who are Wait, listening, if you don't know Bernie Wrightson's Frankenstein illustrations, listen to those illustrations. Yeah. You do not get that quality from those other cheapo illustrators. Yeah. <laughs> Bernie has, has hosted uh, a number of evenings talking about how he worked and how he did those. And there's also a book that shows the preliminary work, but he's spoken to my students about his influences. Mm-hmm. He ha- they had a Doré Bible in their home, and Doré was an engraver. This is in the mid-19th century, where you used a needle to put all these cross contours around those things. And Bernie didn't know that that wasn't pen and ink. And Franklin Booth didn't know that that wasn't pen and ink, and Franklin Booth developed an entire pen and ink, ink style that was one of the most sophisticated, detailed pen and ink styles because he was trying to be a, an engraver with the medium of pen and ink, which is almost yeah. impossible. And then Bernie looked at Franklin Booth, Doré, they were huge influences on him, the old EC comics, the old Mad Comics before it was a Mad Magazine, uh, before it was a magazine, and early 1930s universal horror films, the early 1930s ones were, were the really great ones. At least those, and then he fused them together. Oh, he got he, he didn't go to art school. He got his education from the famous artist mail order school that we were looking at last episode. That's how he learned and from John Nagy's television art instruction where John Nagy would teach you how to learn the simple forms and shade them. He didn't even teach you about core shadows and reflected light. It was just one plane faces light, one plane faces dark. So it's a box. Yeah, it was very simplified. But Bernie saw that when he was a kid and learned this stuff. And then he, and he also said, we asked, what are your influences? And he said, Frazetta, Frazetta, Frazetta. In fact, he said, I am, I am Frank Frazetta's illegitimate child. So he was deeply influenced by Frazetta, but he also had a number of other things that were pulling him around. Frazetta didn't do that engraving kind of stuff that you see in Wrightson's Frankenstein. So Man, the, everyone has such a big boner for Frazetta. Well, Frazetta was great. You, you outgrow him, I think, because the way one of my colleagues, who was very influenced by him and, and, be, and I think in uh, a number of ways grew out of him, he said, it's, it's all eye candy. It's just candy. It's good. It, it's, I, I like Frazetta. I don't, I don't think he's bad. Just... But when you compare it to Howard Pyle, when you compare it to the best of Frank Brangwyn, when you compare it to uh, a Wyeth, yeah. When you compare it to those really great, I mean, even when you compare it, Rockwell is candy too, but Rockwell is candy that is much more varied and, and rich. Yeah. But yeah, I, I don't want to, I mean, dissing Frazetta is maybe... May I don't want to diss him. I, I don't, it's, I'm not dissing him, I'm dissing everyone's... <laughs> the pedestal he's on. Hey, yeah. have you seen the, the, the documentary Painting with Fire? 
Yeah. Yeah, and you remember Simon Bisley mentioned something about Frazetta that was the a great insight. He said, I wasn't Frazetta's style that interested me. They said the thing I liked about it was the power. He had this physical power in there. And that That's is one true. of the reasons why people really get excited about it. There is something about his horses, his characters, these women on these horses. These are people, if they hit you in the head, it would break you apart. And I think when you're 12, 15, 17 years old, and you're not thinking about painting technique or bridgeman or draftsmanship, you just say, that looks more real, it looks more strong, it's more appealing mm-hmm. to me. Something about the physical energy in it. And he was athletic, yeah. and he was so athletic that that athletic energy gets into the way he treats things. I want to give people some action items okay. to, of adopting their artistic parents. I'm, I see two different ways of adopting, well, no, sorry, of developing your art style. Okay. One is adopting your art parents, do master studies, just full on copy, pretend you are this person and do a painting or do, do a drawing and copy them. Mm-hmm. Then do your own thing yes. in that same style. Yes. So not doing an actual master study, but doing your own. An, your own vision, but in that exact same style. That is one way. The other way then is just to experiment. Try to find out your own way of doing things, because just adopting parents and, and combining thing, combining them in your own way—that's not the full picture. You have to also be an artist, and you have to be creative and just play, because you will make mistakes that kind of happen. And you're like, "Wow, I like that," mm-hmm. and things happen. If you have that mindset of exploration and, and, and just trying new things all the time. Yeah. Think about how we develop our own speaking voices. Mm-hmm. We listened to our parents. We listened to people around us. We imitated them. Then we tried to say our own things. And then eventually we will choose other people to learn to speak like them. But we'll also bring our own quality to it that comes out of our own emotions, our own intensity, our own casualness, whatever qualities we have that bring to it. But how, where does an accent come from? Nobody's born with an accent. The accent comes from the environment. And so we're choosing to surround ourselves with these accents and then find out what it is when we turn it into ourselves. Also, everybody who's got the same accent doesn't sound exactly the same. So there is that balance of not being, I want to adopt my parents, I want to learn from my parents, but I don't want to be my parents. Wouldn't that be boring? Evolution would be boring if everybody was just a duplicate of their parents. There's supposed to be some kind of progression, some kind of developing our own thing. What were Mistakes. Yeah. There's mistakes that happen. That's right. And adjustments to the mistakes. And then ultimately, it isn't about the sound of our voice. It is about what it is we have to say. Mm-hmm. Why are some people drawn to uh, horror stories? Why are some people drawn to romantic comedies? I mean, there is something in there thematically that they say, this is what I'm about. I like to make people laugh. I want to scare people. Yeah. Uh, R.L. Stein is uh, his master class. R.L. Stein's master class trailer alone is, is enough to sell you on the course. Uh, and when you find out a little more about him, he was mistreated. He was scared. He was a, a terrified kid. And it could have come out in all sorts of bad ways. And it came out in this way that has not only benefited him, that he's sold hundreds of millions of books, 
but he's also given children safe but delicious scares. That has a lot to do, not just with style, but it's more genre. Mm -hmm. Storytellers have, have the same kinds of, of issues. Yeah. Well, then let's take uh, audience voicemail. If you guys want to call in, leave us a voicemail, ask a question, and potentially be on our podcast, the number to call is 858-609-9453. Call, leave a voicemail. And we were. And now we're going to play one. Cool. From, who is it, Sean? Uh, they did not say. Okay, so an unnamed. The, no, the, 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 say no the name, name again. They did not say. Yeah. They did not say. All, I have, all we had was their phone number, and I'm not going <laughs> to. No, all. we should not give away people's phone numbers. All right. Go ahead and play it, then. Here we go. Yes, I was hoping that the draftsman could confer and perhaps Stan could speak about his experiences at Watts Atelier and how the instructors there influenced him as an artist. Thank you. I kind of talked about that yeah. this episode. I mean, I, I could kind of say it again. Like, I mean, I was highly influenced by Jeff Watts and, all, and Eric Gist and Ben Young, and they were influenced by Jeff Watts. And, and Jeff Watts was influenced by his dad as much as anyone else, wasn't he? He was influenced by Frazetta okay, a lot. Yeah. He was influenced a lot by the Russian drafts, you know, mm -hmm. the, you know the, the student work of the, the Russian academies. Yeah. Um, he was influenced a lot by Fashion. Yeah. He kind of combined Fashion with, I mean, who is a Russian artist, but he, he was more of an American Russian artist. Yeah. Fashion definitely has his own style. Yeah, he has a great style. Yeah. There's more chaos in his style in his earlier style. That's what I love about it. There's yeah. an unpredictability in it. But then also Jeff does have a little bit of his own flavor in there. I, I can always tell a, a, a Jeff Watts. Yeah, I was highly influenced by it. I, love, I still love it. I think Jeff's one of the best draftsmen alive or in history. Like If you watch him draw, like his hand control is unhuman. Like He's just so good. His calligraphy, like the, what he can do with a pencil. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I... That's all. I don't know. I don't know what else to say. Go ahead and play another one. All right. This one is from Dan. Hey, how's it going? My name is Dan. I'm from Chicago, Illinois. I just discovered Proko's Instagram, remembering that I saw his YouTube videos probably two years ago and really thought they were super helpful. I do art not very consistently, and I go through phases of being good about, you know, developing my skills, and then I just go through long drought periods. So I'm wondering what your guys' advice is for establishing a daily routine. What type of daily routine do you recommend for people who are on and off with their art? That's pretty much it. Thanks a lot, guys. This is this is next next week's episode. Do you want to do a, pre, a prelude to it, or should we take another question? Let's do a little, a quick one-minute thing about it. This is a motivation thing, isn't it? He's having a hard time being on and off. Yes. Well, yeah, I guess we can address that part of it. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, the on-off thing, there's two ways to deal with it. One is to embrace it. On-off is not that bad a thing. Eh, it's, uh, you say, I'm going to have the times where I roll on it and the times where I, I set it aside and to embrace it. Uh, if that's not good, because it's out of my control and I just my off periods will be so long that I'm never going to grow, then my recommendation is get involved in community where you're held accountable. 
yeah. and make it so that you've got someone who's expecting it from you. I did not have this problem because I had clients yeah. who I had to get the job done or they wouldn't pay me. So you yeah. are on and you are on until you get it done. You're not off until you collapse after it's done. This problem is common in people who are maybe they're not young anymore. Maybe they're, they already have a career with something else that's not art and mm-hmm. they have to do that and they have kids and they have to do that. And then they also want to now learn how to draw. And I mean, the answer to that is like you you can't really spend as much time as a, an 18 year old now. You you do have other responsibilities. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I'm sorry, like you could either just sleep a little bit less. <laughs> you discipline is huge in that case. If you're mm-hmm. if you're a grown up and you want to learn how to draw, you're gonna have to be a grown up. Mm-hmm. The on off thing, what you're saying embrace it is just like be okay with mediocrity well no not necessarily that's not what that is not what i was getting at is that that there are times the the analogy of the tree that is dormant at some times of the year and bears fruit at other times of the year you can say i accept that and okay so that's planned it's it's planned timed i mean we sleep uh, every 24 hours we're sleeping sure. for, or, for a period of time in there yeah. but that I'm, I'm saying that just in case it might be that this is a normal part of your growth but there's another thing and that is this might not be the thing that draftsmen are going to be able to help you with this may be something for your therapist yeah this is something <laughs> yeah. that your family your wife you need to figure yeah. it out with her if time is the issue it's not yeah art teachers aren't necessarily gonna be able to help you and right. family and family right. patterns too. You know, I I my mom stayed up late, and my dad got up. My dad was raised on a farm. He was used to getting up at four thirty-five in the morning and working and doing the chairs chores. He'd get tired at seven or eight at night and go to sleep. My mom's energy came up at night, and I don't know whether I got it from her genetically or not. But I know that when I decided I wanted to be an artist, my energy would go up at night, and I I found that it worked very well for me. There are some things that might look bad to somebody else, and they aren't bad. You just you don't learn to channel them. The point is that what may look like a bad thing, that I go into these manic Watch modes what you say and then here, I go, <laughs> is still a bad thing. So yes, you may have your seasons of productivity and your seasons of dormancy, and I it's I don't know that that's the case though. That's why you talk with this. Uh, you talk about this with a therapist. But I mean, I do like what you said about having accountability. Mm-hmm. There's this trick that I, I don't think I learned it from artists, but like make a promise, put it, make it public that you're going to do this. Mm-hmm. Post online on your social networks and make, tell all your friends online that you're going to do this something, whatever it is that you want to do. You're going to draw every day for two months straight, mm-hmm. whatever it is that you think you, you want to do and make everyone else holds you accountable to it because when you go out and they ask you like hey how's that going you're like oh i've been doing it you feel embarrassed and you don't want that embarrassment so that accountability is going to help you with the the laziness if it is if laziness is part of the yeah off whatever you know the reason why you have these off periods yeah accountability is huge it is people get better when they are around other people who are getting better it's like the mulan ladder thing you know that what that is? The Mulan ladder. Does the that mul- have anything to do with the movie? Yeah, yeah. That uh, if you're like if you got stump? you've got to go up 
and that's going to be hard enough. But if you've got to go up with extra weight, that's going to be harder. But not if you can use the extra weight that's over on the other side to oh. counterbalance you and, and okay. cool. bring yeah, you up. Yeah. But that's what happens in community. If you've got friendly competition going on and accountability and some little reward, I treat everybody to dinner. If I don't get this done by this time, mm -hmm. uh, those things can make a difference. Yeah. And they also, they meet social needs at the same time that you're trying to make your artistic goals. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> Marshall, what's your thing? Wow. Okay, <laughs> let me tell you what my thing is. I am about eight months late to the Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Okay. It's a Western. It's six stories strewn together. They're only related by genre and theme. They don't weave together as storylines. Yeah. And it's two hours and 13 minutes, so it's long. And I watched it on parts a- parts together? Pardon? All six parts together? All six parts together. So it's like one movie. It's like one movie, and I saw it on a Saturday night, uh, eight months after it came out, and was blown away by it, and then watched it again the next day, and been thinking about it constantly. I've watched it with college students in a class. It really prompts discussion. It is, uh, it's just a trip of a film. And it, because right. there's there's six different ones, everybody, I, I, within 24 hours after having watched the first time, I asked at least 15 people, have you seen The Ballad of Buster Scruggs? And I got all sorts of, pin, uh, of opinions, including, yeah, I didn't like all of them. And some people were so offended by some of them, they tuned out and didn't watch the later ones. Mm -hmm. But I thought all six of them were little masterpieces. And I had you yeah. know a couple little criticisms, but I just thought it was an amazing film. And it's one of those ones that uh, it, some of it is so powerful. You just think about it all day for the, the following days after seeing them. So I don't know. I mean, if you haven't seen it, it's I not something it. to discuss. Marsh, I, or Marsh. Sean, have you seen it? I've seen the first one and I liked it. You liked it. Okay. Well, I like it. Well, I think I, you, I, you could watch the first one and if you enjoy it, Keep going. Uh, here's here's what I recommend. Like watch them two at a time. <laughs> two hours God. and thirteen minutes. Uh, can I watch them all the way straight through? And they did put me into a real numb state in a way. But if you so watch, them, difficult to watch. Is it like people getting sliced in half? There, there is there sort of is uh, a vi one thing that put people off is the juxtaposition of comedy and violence that I do think was inappropriate. Are there like kids getting hurt or animals getting hurt? Uh, there is, there are some thematic things that happen in it that really bothered people. So okay. I, I... Not for everyone. If you know the Coen brothers, if you've seen the Coen brothers films and you're okay with them, then you, you will, you'll probably appreciate it and you will probably won't be surprised. But I recommend okay. take them two at a time. Even if you just watch the first two and then take a break for a half hour. And then numbers three and four will go really well together, again, thematically. And then five and six also work well together. But I just, the craft of this film is so <laughs> excellent. They are so okay. good at phrasing and timing and rhythm and, and credibility and what to show and what not to show. They're just, they are okay. as good as it gets. So I was, I'm just very excited about it. That's been my thing. Cool. How about you? What's your thing? My thing this week is my son. Uh, wow. That outdoes Buster Scruggs my by thang. about 300 oh, million. Thang. Tell us yeah. about Cooper. Cooper, he, he's getting to that age where he actually interacts, mm -hmm. right? And he can play really well. He's almost two? He's almost two, yeah. Like the other day, he, I, w I, was, I, was, I was doing push-ups because I'm a man. <laughs> you know i was but anyway he he just climbed on my back mm -hmm. 
And he just, I was like, oh, wow, he's actually sturdy on my back now. And so I started crawling around the house. And he loved it. Because before it was like, you know, he'd fall off. Like he'd fall off his head. <laughs> he couldn't do that sort of stuff. But now he's got his grip strength. He's holding on to my shoulders. Yeah. He's, he wraps his legs around. It's so fun. A he's dad like a is little a horse. Human. <laughs> yeah. Stop being a bean and now he's a human. Yeah, he's not a bean anymore. Yes, I know that phenomenon. It's amazing. <laughs> you, <laughs> yes, you do. Uh, no, that's just yeah. He he's in it. Like, God, I'm speechless. <laughs> yes, when they. Oh, and I rolled him up into a taco. <laughs> this happened like five minutes afterwards. Um, a yoga mat. <laughs> Yeah, he 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 wanted to put the yoga mat over his head and make a tent, mm -hmm. and then I put him down on one end and I started rolling it, rolled him into a taco, and he loved it. Yeah, he laughed so hard, and then he wouldn't leave me alone. He just wanted to do that like ten times. Taco, and then I scared him. I I rolled him to a taco and walked away. Oh no! <laughs> and he can't move, right? The dad, so he, he actually got worried. I was peeking around, and he was like, "Oh crap! Wait, I can't move." He realized he can't move. Yeah. But I ran right back in. And yeah. He didn't cry. Yeah. So you are just <laughs> loving the opportunity to be involved in raising this human being. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's my thing. I can see why. Uh, people might not be able to pick it up when they're outside of it. But if they've yeah, been around a two-year-old, yeah, you can't really know what it's like until you're around a two-year-old and yeah. know how exhausting they can be, but how, how funny and, and delightful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, congratulations. Thank you. You've got Cooper. Yeah. All right. Okay. All the non-parents in life. <laughs> uh, All right. Can we end the show? I ate a burrito the other day. I, I ate a burrito. <laughs> I think you should include footage of Cooper rolling around, the taco thing, the taco? everything, writing you. You've got to get all that I'll in here. This should be the aftermath. Cooper. During the credits of Draftsman, we get to see the real thing. <laughs> Watch the YouTube video. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Thank you, everyone, for listening or watching. Please leave us five stars on iTunes. Tell your friends, leave a comment. What's yeah. the comment? What, what, what comment should they leave today? Uh, let us know. It, it, this is the thing about art parents. If you've got questions. Yeah, who are your art parents? Yeah, who are your art parents? And yes. are, is there anything that you would we would warn you against? Was the outsider saying, no, 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 don't adopt that parent. <laughs> you know, if there's anything like that. All yes. right, guys, see you next week. Thanks. Tuesday. <laughs>